welcome to another episode of The Central Word, a podcast ministry of Central Baptist Church, Texarkana, Arkansas. Today's episode is from the morning message of February the 19th and is preached by our new pastor, Brother Mike Sylvie. We pray this message brings you encouragement as you walk with our Savior this week. Here now is Brother Mike preaching from Colossians 1.28 on the day you become complete. Thank you, Kelly, and thank you for everyone who participated in the worship service this morning. That just blessed my heart. I feel like I can just close my notes, and let's just give the invitation, and let's just go right, but yeah, I think we need a message, don't we? Colossians 1.28. Colossians 1.28, we have a message about the day that you will be made complete. If you... Know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, and He is working in your life. The day that He came into your heart, He began to work, and He will not stop until you are complete. When a house is built, there are two special, exciting days. There is the start date, and then there is the completion day, and everything in between is work. Isn't that right? Those of you that built, has built, have built a house. And in salvation, it's very similar. There are two special days. The day you are, are converted and the day that you are completed. And Colossians 1.28 speaks about the work that God is doing in our lives to make us complete. God didn't save you just to drift through this life. He didn't save you so that you could just grumble and stumble and mumble through this life. No, he wants something much better for you. He saved you to make you like his son, to be like him, think like him, love like him, serve and sacrifice him, to be like him. And one day when that work is complete, every one of you who know Christ that are here, and the millions and possibly even billions of people that will walk the streets of gold in heaven, every single one of them will be just like the Lord Jesus Christ. What a day that's going to be. When we are gathered around the throne and Christ is in the center and everywhere he looks, he sees his own resemblance. He sees someone that's a mirror image of him. Now we'll not be him. There's only one in heaven who's worthy to be praised, but we will be like him. And Colossians 1.28 speaks about this process that God uses, that he's even using right now to make us complete. Verse 28 says, Him are whom we preach. And this is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. To this end I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. The word perfect in verse 28 means complete in all of its 
parts. So one day when God's work is complete in your life and my life, in every part, in the physical, in the mental, in the emotional, and in the spiritual, we will from head to toe, inside and out, be just like the Lord Jesus Christ. What a plan and a purpose he has in mind for you and me. And he's working on that right now. Paul says, this is what I'm working on. That God is working mightily in me to do this and to be a part of this. So God uses his servants, his preachers, his ministers, his, uh, his people, his servants to, to be a part of this process. And this verse shows us that there are actually three avenues that God uses to accomplish this work. It is, number one, preaching. Number two, teaching. And number three, the text says warning. It really means admonishing. And this is, we're going to see a little bit later in the message, that this is really one-on-one discipleship. And so preaching, teaching, and discipleship are the three avenues that God is using right now to get you from where you are to be like Christ one day. And Paul compares this uh, process to treasure, to the riches of glory. Verse 27, he calls it the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So he speaks of it as treasure on the earth, and indeed it is. The treasure of God working in you, Christ in you, changing you from the inside out, changing you completely. It is treasure on this earth. And I want to speak to you about these three avenues, these three treasures this morning. Well, these are the three major things I think about as a pastor as I seek to lead a church, as I seek to pastor, to teach, and to guide. It is these three areas that we must major on. We must seek to, to preach God's Word, to teach effectively, and disciple effectively. This is the treasure. God wants to invest here in this church ministry, in your heart, in my heart, in the lives of all those that he'll bring in through his kingdom's work, through our time together here. And so notice, number one, God makes us complete through the gold of Christ-centered preaching. That's the first thing that we're led to think about here in this verse. Him we preach. Gospel preaching. Christ-centered preaching. is God's treasure. It's his goal that he uses in ministry to reach people, to bring them together, to change them. And so preaching is the first avenue here that we notice. God has used Christ-centered preaching in my life, in your life, and in everyone's life who are called by his name. And what a gospel we have to preach. The gospel here, in a sentence, is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Verse 27, the Christ that dwelled in glory, who dwelled there from all eternity, in the ivory palaces of heaven, as the song says with no sin around, no problems. Christ left all of that voluntarily to come to this dark and sinful world to become a human being and even the lowest of all human beings, a servant, 
And then to offer himself willingly as a sacrifice for you and me to be wrongly charged and accused, to take our place and to die a criminal's death in pain and agony on a cross and experience a real death and an even an eternal death on your behalf and mine. But after he died, he rose again and came back to life so that he can now offer life to every one of us and be Christ in you for all of those who receive him. They become the children of God, even them that believe on his name. And Christ is in you now. And he's bringing his glory into your life. And he's changing you so that one day you'll be able to stand in all that, that glory, in all of its fullness, and you'll belong by God's grace. And it's accomplished and it's developed through Christ-centered preaching. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21 says, It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save those that believe. Now, preaching is not foolish, but to the world and even to some immature Christians, it is foolishness. But to you and me, it is the power of God because it is Christ-centered preaching that changes our lives. I remember very well sitting in this very room. I was saved before we came here to Central, but I was a new Christian. And I remember as we in the youth group sat on the back row, we confiscated the back row right over here. I've moved up here. Jeff's moved over there. (laughs) But I remember sitting right back over there, just minding my own business. Not, I was in church, I knew I needed to be. And just sitting there. And God showed up. And my eyes were open to the glory of Christ in a way that I had never experienced to that point. I didn't see visions, the room didn't spin, but the preacher was preaching about the glory of Christ from Philippians chapter 2, and he spoke about the Master's mind, and he spoke about the Savior's sacrifice, and he spoke about the noble name and the common confession. And in those moments, through Christ-centered preaching, my eyes were opened to the glory of Christ, and I saw him high and lifted up, and I saw myself lowly and undone. And I saw that he was everything and I was nothing. And on that night, God began to lead me in a giant step forward in this process of becoming like his son. He did it through preaching. God uses Christ-centered preaching. Churchgoer wrote a letter to the editor of the newspaper about the sermons he had heard during his life. Here's what he wrote. He said, I've gone to church for 30 years now, and in that time I have heard something like 3,000 sermons. But for the life of me, I can't remember a single one of them. Can you relate? Someone asked me last week, what what was that text you preached on? And I had to think for a moment. (laughs) And, And the man went on to write, but for the life of me, I can't remember a single one of them, so I think I'm wasting my time, and pastors are wasting theirs by giving sermons at all. As you can imagine, there were many responses to the newspaper after that. The best one was this one. Another man wrote in, I've been married for 30 years now, and at that time my wife has cooked some 32,000 meals. Had a good wife. 
but for the life of me, I cannot recall the entire menu for a single one of the meals. But I know this, they all nourished me and gave me the strength I needed to do my work. If my wife had not given me these meals, I would be physically dead today. Likewise, if I had not gone to church for nourishment, I would be spiritually dead today. God uses Christ-centered preaching. He treasures it, and so should us, so should we. Let me give you just a few practical words on how to treasure the preaching of God's Word. Before we move on, number one, be present. Show up. Whenever God's Word is preached, unless we're providentially or physically hindered, we should be there. I should be here. I should show up. And you should show up. I'm sure you've heard the story about the man who was laying in bed on Sunday morning and he didn't want to go to church. His wife came to the door. He said, it's time to get up, time to go to church. He said, I'm not going to church. Those people down there, they don't like me. They don't listen to me. They don't care about me. I'm not going. Give me one reason why I should go. And she looked at him and said, I'll give you two. Number one, you need to go. And number two, you're the pastor. So we all need to show up, right, when God's word is preached. Number two, be prayerful. One of the greatest aids to the preaching of God's word is God's people in the pew praying for the message and the messenger. I need God's, I need prayer. I need God's people to pray for me. If your prayer life is kind of stale, I suggest that uh, you read a book on prayer by E.M. Bounds. E.M. Bounds is a, actually a Methodist pastor and teacher that lived over 100 years ago, and uh, he was a great spiritual man and wrote a lot of books on prayer. Which one should you read? Any of them. Any of his books are great. It will energize your prayer life. Here's one quote from one, one of his books. He said, People in the pew given to praying for the preacher are like the poles that hold up the wires along which the electric current runs. He lived 100 years ago. They are not the power, nor are they the specific agents in making the word of the Lord effective, but they hold up the wires along which the divine power runs to the hearts of men. They make conditions favorable for the preaching of the gospel. And then he concluded by saying the word of God is inseparably linked with prayer. The two are joined together, twins from birth and twins through life. The preaching of God's word requires that God's people pray. You show up and you haven't prayed, you haven't prayed for the message, it's very likely that God's not going to speak to you that day. God is looking for open hearts. He's looking for willing hearts. And we need to come and we need to pray and seek Him. So be present, be prayerful. Number three, I'd say, be protective. Now, I'm new here. I do not have a bone to pick with anybody here, right? Okay? At least I hadn't been here in a long time, right? But don't, you need to protect your, your, the preacher. Don't lay things on him that he doesn't need to deal with right before the message or right before the service. Be protective. 
Don't come to him with the complaints. You know, it's the first time you've seen him and you got this complaint you've been nursing all week long and don't come lay it on his heart right there before he gets up to preach. Don't um, come with hard questions right before the message, you know. Can my brother's sister's wife's uncle use the church building next Saturday? You know, this opens up a whole can of worms of questions, you know. You can't deal with it right then. Don't come and tell him the lady's toilet's broken again. (laughs) I can wait till later. Be protective. I don't know if you know this or not, but anytime God's man gets up to preach, no matter how long he's been preaching, he always is fighting a spiritual battle in those moments. You know, we work hard to try to act like we're calm and collected, you know, and we got everything together. But truth be known, Satan, the enemy of truth, works harder and harder, the closer and closer you get to the moment of stepping up and preaching God's word. He's fighting a battle. He may not be fighting with the devil per se, he may be fighting with himself. We can get confident, we can feel like, oh, I got this together. Well, wait till they hear this. (laughs) And we can get in the flesh and get self-driven and God doesn't show up. Sometimes it can be dealing with sin. I'm human just like anybody else. I can have an argument with my wife on Sunday morning just like anybody else can. Now, we didn't have that this morning. We're fine. So there's all these different things going to be swirling around while we're trying to get ready and be spiritual and give God's word as as he's poured it into our hearts in the week. And so it takes God's people being protective and understanding what's going on in that moment because there's some gold that needs to be released. God needs to do his work. And finally, I'd say be positive. Again, I'm not fishing for compliments. Y'all have been so gracious. Y'all have made us feel so good. And uh, you've done a great job at that. Uh, But I'm really thinking about, you know, others that might be standing in this pulpit or or those beyond our service this morning that's listening to this message that they need to understand this about their pastor. You need to praise what he does well. Be positive. If, If he preaches something that God uses to touch your heart, let him know that through a word or a card or a text. Every Elijah needs to know that God's word is being received and heeded and that the Ahabs and the Jezebels in his kingdom are not winning the fight. And they need to have that encouragement just like Elijah did from time to time. Again, I'm not fishing for compliments. It needs to be genuine. But they need to know that God's working, that he's doing something through this ministry of preaching. Because all of us, no matter how long we've been preaching, we still wonder if we're adequate, if God's working. And is there going to be change? Yes, he's using that to change his people. So that's what I'm thinking about as I'm beginning this ministry here is that We need to focus on preaching God's truth. And we need to proclaim it from this pulpit. We need to proclaim it 
through podcasts, through other forms of media as we have that opportunity. We need to send it across the street, across the world, as we share the good news about Christ and talk about Christ in you, the hope of glory. And this word for preach here actually has the meaning of celebrate with it too. So we also in praising him through music, we share God's truth as we sing and praise as we did a few moments ago. And through all those ways, we're going to tap into the gold of Christ-centered preaching. Number two is the treasure that I call the silver of spirit-led teaching. Christ makes us complete through spirit-led teaching. Psalm 12, 6 says, The words of the Lord are pure words as silver tried in a furnace, purified seven times. God's word needs to be taught. In all good preaching, there is good teaching. And every good teacher preaches just a little bit. And so preaching and teaching go together. God uses them together to make his people complete. And Jesus is our model. Here at Central, I'm going to call us to teach like Jesus. To follow his guide. He is the master teacher. Jesus was called a teacher in the Bible 45 times. Teacher is actually the most frequently used title for Jesus in, in the scriptures. A teacher. So teaching is treasure that God uses in our lives. So let's move a little quicker. Let me, let me point out to you three key questions I think this verse answers for us about teaching. Number one, what is teaching? The word teaching here actually means to cause to learn. So teaching is causing others to learn. And you teachers know this. Even though the students are in their seat and their headlights are on, it doesn't necessarily mean that teaching is taking place, right? You've got to cause them to learn. And that means teaching is a very demanding work. It takes the Holy Spirit to accomplish this. It must be Spirit-led teaching. Jesus said in John chapter 14 that when He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He will guide you into all truth. So teaching is teaching others what the Holy Spirit has taught you. Number one, that, that's what teaching is. Number two, whom does the teacher teach? And verse 28 says, every man. The word man there is the word anthropos, and it means human being. So every person from the cradle to the rocking chair in a church ministry needs to be taught spirit-led truth in a church ministry. And we need to focus on that and try to be as effective as we can, more Christ-like as we can. And that brings us to the third question that this answers, and that is, how does the teacher teach? And it says we are to teach in all wisdom. That means we must apply it to our daily lives. Jesus was the master teacher, and he majored in application. Have you ever realized that? Have you ever heard that? If you study the Sermon on the Mount and break it down between belief and behavior, facts and acts, the, the belief being the truth, the acts and the behavior being the application, you find that 65% of the Sermon on the Mount is application. More than half. Jesus was a master teacher, 
And the reason why people flocked to hear him is because he said things that made a difference in their lives. And we've got to teach that way. As I began to understand this, I did a further study and I found that actually Paul applied truth in all of his epistles. In all of his epistles, there's at least 50% application. Like the book of Romans. Chapters 1 through 8 is truth and belief. Chapters 8 through 16 is the practical application. And there are some books of the Bible, like the Psalms, Proverbs, or Book of James, that's mostly application. And so teachers, here's how we teach. If we're going to be like Christ, we need to major in application. At least half of your time you're going to spend on the truth, the beliefs, but then the other half of the time, are you ready for this? 20 to 25 minutes, we need to be bringing the application in. At least half of the time. So that when our students go away, our members go away, visitors go away, they, they understand that, hey, this is more than this truth to believe. This is, this is truth that I need to apply to my life and I need to follow. It makes a difference. So this is what Paul's talking about when he says teaching in all wisdom. So very quickly, how do we treasure the gift of teaching in a church ministry? Number one, I'd say be present. If you're not in Sunday school or a small group Bible study, then you need to be. Because this verse teaches us that you cannot become complete by preaching alone. There's teaching that's required as well. You need to be in small group Bible study, sharing life with one another, applying life together. So number one, be present. Number two, be prayerful. If the preacher needs prayer, then certainly the Sunday school teacher needs prayer too, right? And so you pray. You pray for the teacher. You pray for the class. And then finally I'd say be pliable. Be teachable. You're not complete yet. None of us is complete yet. And we all need to show up and we need to be ready to receive old truth in new ways and new truth in old ways. And let God show us and complete us and put us all together so that one day when we stand in his presence and he snaps his fingers and he completes the job, he doesn't have a whole lot to do. You see, he, he's working right now on you because he can't wait to share the blessing. It's not because, you know, he, he doesn't want to, you know, deal with you later. It, it's, he wants you, as soon as you can, to be like him, to know him and to know his blessing and to follow him. So there's preaching, there's teaching, and then we come to this this warning, which can be translated admonishing. It's translated that way in, in Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, where it says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching, and there's our word, admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts, Lord. That's not getting on to anybody. Singing with grace in your hearts, Lord. So there's the positive side of this admonishing, which I think really is done in one-on-one -on -one discipleship. Sometimes we do need to warn some folks and make them accountable, but primarily this is talking about one-on-one -on -one discipleship, linking up with somebody else, and heart-to-heart -heart doing life together, and sharing God's truth and wisdom together, and helping them along their way. All of us have had that in our life. I've had people in my life, in this church, to disciple me, and to mentor me. 
Some people did it intentionally, like Charles Redden. <laughs> Get to class. And it was some people that did it unintentionally. But like some of you that would sit in here Sunday after Sunday, and I would watch you, and I would see you. And your spirituality rubbed off on me. One-on-one discipleship is another thing we need to major in. Now, churches in our day and time don't necessarily do a good job at this because it's hard work and it takes a lot of time. But in addition to the preaching and the teaching, we need to link up together one-on-one with those who need it and guide them on our journey. Just like Jesus did in Luke chapter 24 on the road to Emmaus with those disciples, those two disciples that walked that road, the Bible says they were sad. They were talking about all the events that just recently happened in Jerusalem. And they were just, it was just overwhelming them. And Jesus showed up after his resurrection. And he did it in such a way they didn't know who he was. But then the Bible says he began to open the scriptures from Moses to the prophets. And he applied the scriptures to himself. And the Bible says they went from being sad to glad. And here's what they said after it was all over. They said, did not our heart burn within us? while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us, God used that moment to transform them, to lead them in a giant step forward in the process of knowing him better and becoming like him one day. One day Jesus will use all these treasures to complete us. Some of these are just kind of bouncing off of us right now. Some of these in our human frailty we can't fully absorb. But one day, we come to the end of our journey. Christ is going to use all of this grace and all this power, plus the glorifying power that he has on the other side, and he's just going to snap his fingers in the twinkling of an eye. We're going to all be changed, and it's going to be done. No matter how much you struggle and mistakes you've made and detours you've taken, he's going to make sure you get there and you're going to be complete. And you're going to be amazed. One more story and you got the message. A man checked into a hotel. There was a computer in his room. So he sent an email to his wife. He accidentally typed the email address with one wrong letter, sending the message to another person who happened to be a widow who had just returned from her husband's funeral. She had just sat down to the computer to check to see if there were condolences from friends and family. After reading the message, she fainted. The family found her on the floor in front of the computer screen, which read, To my loving wife, I know you're surprised to hear from me. They have computers here. And we are all allowed to send emails to loved ones. I just checked in. The place is really nice. Wish you were here. I have made arrangements for your arrival tomorrow. Expecting you then. I can't wait to see you. Now that was a misunderstanding and a mistake. But when Jesus comes back, there will be no mistakes. He's gone on ahead of us. And they've got something better in computers there. He said, I've gone to prepare a place for you so that where I am, there you may be. 
And he sent a message back to us saying, I've made arrangements for you to be here. Can't wait to see you. Can't wait to see you complete here in my presence. As we bow our heads in prayer, I want to ask you, Thank you for listening to this episode of The Central Word. Our prayer is that this message will encourage you in your walk with Christ as we dive into God's Word each and every week. Thanks again for joining us, and may God bless you in the week to come.